From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Welcome. Good to have you joining us today. Well, coming up on this Wednesday edition, could we be seeing movement on border security as President Biden seeks billions more for Ukraine? Compromise is how democracy works, and I'm ready and offered compromise already. Holding Ukraine funding hostage in an attempt to force through an extreme Republican partisan agenda on the border is not how it works. In other words, we're not moving forward. That was President Biden during a joint press conference with Ukrainian President Zelensky yesterday. We'll get the latest from Wisconsin Senator Ron Johnson in just a moment. While the Biden administration vetoed the ceasefire resolution at the United Nations Security Council last week, the president's comments last night that Israel is indiscriminately bombing Gaza sounds more like Hamas talking points. He just said he speaks for foreign policy. He said yesterday that there were indiscriminate attacks, which to the rest of the world is a war crime. So why is the United States not saying that that's what the president was speaking to his concerns about um, uh, about making sure we're seeing the results? that Israel has claimed is their intent, which is to reduce civilian casualties. That's what he's talking about. That was White House National Security Council spokesman John Kirby this afternoon attempting to clean up the president's comments. We'll talk with Nebraska Senator Pete Ricketts later on this edition of Washington Watch. And the House is scheduled to vote on formalizing the impeachment inquiry of President Biden this hour. The effort uh, got a boost, actually, from an unlikely source, Hunter Biden who refused to show up for his deposition before the House Oversight Committee. Let me state as clearly as I can, my father was not financially involved in my business, not as a practicing lawyer, not as a board member of Burisma, not in my partnership with a Chinese private businessman, not in my investments at home nor abroad. That was Hunter Biden earlier today at a press conference at the Capitol. Now, That's a little different than previous statements in which the claim was made that President Biden had no knowledge of Hunter's business deals. He said, my father was not financially involved in the business. Well, that's an important qualifier. We haven't heard that. For three years, we haven't heard that. All we've heard is Joe Biden had no involvement. Now his son does a press conference when he's supposed to be being deposed and says he wasn't financially involved. Well, what involvement was it? That was chairman of the Judiciary Committee, Jim Jordan, on the House floor this afternoon. We'll talk with the new chairman of the House Freedom Caucus, Virginia Congressman Bob Good, will join us later. The Supreme Court today announcing that it would take up the abortion pill case coming out of the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. A three-judge panel from the Fifth Circuit had put restrictions on the Biden administration's FDA that decided to treat the killer drug like candy removing medical safeguards. We're going to talk about that. We'll also look at the request by Special Counsel Jack Smith to leapfrog over the D.C. Appeals Court on the question about Donald Trump and can he be charged, prosecuted, on charges that he plotted to overturn the 2020 election results. Now, does this have legal merit or is this more of the same? Stop Trump at all cost. We'll talk with Jeff Clark, senior fellow and director of litigations of litigations for the Center for Renewing America. Our word for today comes from Second John. For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ is coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. 
He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house nor greet him, for he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. John says, don't open the doors of your house nor your heart, for that matter, to those who teach or promote something that is counter to the word of God. Rather, we should stand firm in the truth, resisting those who deceive. Why? If we give way to their deception, we share in their evil deeds. For more on our journey through the Bible, go to frc.org Bible. By the way, as we start the new year, I invite you to join us in our Bible reading plan. And this year we have a great new resource. It's our new Stand on the Word Bible Journal. And for a generous year-end tax-deductible gift of $30 or more, we'll send you one to guide you on your journey through the Bible. To give or to order today, simply text the word GIVE to 67742. That's the word GIVE, G-I-V-E, to 67742. Or, as always, you can go to TollyPerkins.com. Well, as Senate Republicans stand resolute that they will only approve spending for Ukraine if it accompanies legislation to restrict the influx of illegal immigrants at the southern border, pressure is building for the Biden administration to negotiate. Senate Republicans doubt an agreement can be reached until after the Christmas recess, but could the White House engage in negotiations and possibly overrule Senate Democrats? Joining me now to discuss this and more is Senator Ron Johnson from Wisconsin. He serves on the Senate Budget Committee, the Senate Finance Committee, and the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. Senator Johnson, welcome back to Washington Watch. Well, Tony, uh, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you, Senator, as well. Uh, So give us the latest. uh, Are the Senate Democrats in the Biden administration walking in lockstep when it comes to the border and Ukraine funding? Uh, Pretty much. I I don't think they've gotten serious yet. Uh, My concern is we start hearing the president talk about compromise. What we want is a secure border. Now, we can certainly negotiate what that exactly means, but uh, unfortunately, we have a lawless administration. We have a president that is not faithfully executing the laws. If you want a couple of examples, when Supreme Court ruled that the eviction moratorium was unconstitutional, President Biden extended it anyway. When they ruled that forgiving student loans was unconstitutional, he's still forgiving them. So we can't rely on this president to uh, actually follow uh, the law, execute it, uh, or quite honestly, follow through on any agreement he signs. So we need to hold his feet to the fire. That's why I've been proposing any funding must be contingent on benchmarks that he actually achieves. You know, do this in business all the time. You have performance uh, uh, bonuses, that type of thing. So you you can set this thing up. President uh, Trump secured the border in over a 12-month period of time, from his peak to his trough, with return to Mexico, safe third country. Uh, It can be done. But we need to be tough. We, we, it, again, compromise language is not going to do this. Even the toughest language without those benchmarks is not going to secure the border. And that's got to be our bottom line, because the open border promoted by Joe Biden and his Democrat allies is a clear and present danger to America. It has to be our top national security, homeland security priority. And as you said, Senator, it, this is we know how to do this. Uh, the Trump administration did it. So, I mean, they've already laid out the roadmap on how it can be accomplished. So before uh, or last week, the Republicans in the Senate stood together and said no funding for Ukraine. Yesterday, there was a meeting with uh, President 
Zelensky from Zelensky from uh, Ukraine. Has that moved anything? I don't think so. Again, I think most uh, Americans are sympathetic with the the plight of the Ukrainian people. They're they're opposed to the evil war criminal Putin. Uh, so, from my standpoint, what takes precedent though is securing that border. Uh, I do believe that uh, we need to bring this war to an end as quickly as possible. Uh, we, we need to, you know, get rid of the fantasy that uh, Ukraine can win. Uh, unless you define winning further down than what most people would. You know, Ukraine can't do what it would really take to push Russia out of its territory. Uh, you'd have to start lobbing missiles into, into Moscow to start reducing Russian support for the war. So this war will only end with a settlement. Every day that goes by, uh, more Ukrainians die, more Russian conscripts die. I take no joy in that. More of Ukraine gets destroyed. So Every day that goes by with this war going on, the settlement becomes worse and worse. So we have to recognize that reality. Let's not engage in fantasies. And whatever funding we do give Ukraine should be used to try and maneuver Putin and get him to realize that this is a this is it's a lose 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 proposition for everybody. Right. And come to negotiate a settlement and stop the killing, stop the destruction. So, so that's one of the issues is the what is the projected outcome? What's the goal here? That question needs to be answered. But there's another question, which I think is more down your alley as a former accountant, is, is there proper accountability for, I mean, this is a lot of money that we've given to Ukraine. Are we satisfied that it is being used as it is, as it has, they've said they've been using it? Well, we're certainly not being told the truth. I mean, we saw, I think, a Time magazine article saying that uh, something that, in Zelensky's inner circle said that they're stealing like there's no tomorrow. Uh, we heard reports, somebody else saying that they really have enough uh, war material to last them till the spring. So what is the truth here? We're not being given the truth, certainly not by this administration, not by this president who has lied through his teeth on a host of issues when he uh, talks to the American public. So that's part of the problem. We're just not getting the truth, but we're also not recognizing reality. Um, Ukraine, unfortunately, cannot win this war mainly because Putin cannot afford to lose it, and he won't lose it. Uh, this is existential to him if he were to lose this war. He's got nuclear weapons. He would use them if forced into a corner. So let's recognize that reality and do everything we can. You know, one of the things that Zelensky talked about, if he doesn't get the funding, this would, you know, he said Putin will never take over Ukraine. Uh, there's too much resistance. This would turn into a guerrilla war. Well, that's the kind of uh, message he needs to send to Putin uh, this is a lose-lose situation. So come to the bargaining table. Uh, let's end this destruction. Let's end the killing. So what does that look like practically? What uh, what what part of Ukraine will be given up for this negotiated settlement? Well, you, you, when, I, when I was at Zelensky's inauguration, I went back two months later. Uh, Zelensky, at that point in time, when Russia had already illegally annexed Crimea and was in firmly control of eastern Ukraine, the Donbass region. Zelensky at that point in time wanted to do a peace agreement, recognizing that he wasn't going to reclaim those territories. He was very realistic that way. Uh, so he needs to come to that reality as well. As, as, as many war crimes have been committed, he has to realize, I mean, th there won't be justice for that. I mean, you, you just can't uh, hold Putin accountable when he has nuclear weapons. So, again, I, I wish you could. I wish you could haul that war criminal before the Hague and, and hang him, uh, but that's not possible. So you have to recognize the reality situation and lay out for Putin. Uh, th this will grind you down like Afghanistan ground you down, uh, like you ground America down. 
uh, guerrilla warfare is not pleasant for, for the invading army. So uh, come to terms with the fact that this is going to be settled. And again, come to the terms that every day that it's not settled, the settlement terms get worse and worse and worse. Is there any sense that Zelensky, President Zelensky, is at that point? Probably not. And I, you know, I understand the challenge he has. Uh, you know, the people of Ukraine have shown unbelievable courage. They've been violated. There have been war crimes committed against them, their family members. Uh, they're, they're not going to want to settle, but they're also not going to win. Or, or better put better, Putin will not lose this war. And they have to come to that reality, and we've got to end this war. It's kind of amazing how the world supports uh, Ukraine because of the war crimes of Russia, but there seems to be waning in their support for Israel on the crimes that were committed against them by Hamas terrorists. It's uh, rather interesting. We're going we're gonna to talk about that in the next segment with one of your uh, colleagues, uh, Pete Ricketts. Senator, I want to thank you for joining us. Very insightful and uh, always appreciate uh, you coming on and joining us. And Merry Christmas. God bless everyone. Thank you, Senator. Merry Christmas to you as well. All right, as I mentioned, coming up next, Senator Pete Ricketts of Nebraska joined us. We're going to drill down a little bit on, on Israel. Did uh, President Biden signal a fracturing of his support for Israel at a fundraiser yesterday, or was it just more of kind of the president going off teleprompter? We're going to talk about that with uh, Senator Pete Ricketts after the break. So don't go away. More Washington Watch coming up right after this. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clawson, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroicfaith. 
Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Good to have you with us on this uh, Wednesday. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Are you waiting uh, for a vote on uh, the uh, for the Congress to formalize the impeachment inquiry into President Joe Biden? Right now, they're uh, just finishing up on a vote to allow schools to serve whole milk in their lunch programs. Wow. Speaking at a uh, fundraiser last night, President Biden criticized Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, accusing him of kowtowing to extremists in his government and warning that Israel's counterattacks into Gaza, which he called, quote, indiscriminate bombing, end quote, is beginning to cost Israel support around the world. Prime Minister Netanyahu acknowledged disagreements but confirmed that Israel, quote, won't give in to international pressure, end quote. Could the Biden administration's support for Israel be waning? Joining me now to discuss this, Senator Pete Ricketts from Nebraska. He serves on three Senate committees, including the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. Senator Ricketts, welcome back to the program. Thank you very much for having me on again, Tony. I appreciate it. Well, Merry Christmas. Uh, let me ask you this question. Do you, do you think the president is just more of kind of President Biden off the cuff, not really realizing what he's saying? Or is this an indication of a, a, a weakening of U.S. support for Israel? Well, I think this is more of President Biden just losing his backbone, as he is very much in the habit of doing. He flip-flops, he prevacates, he goes back and forth. And this is just, in my opinion, another example of that. We need to support Israel in their war. Uh, the difference between good and evil here could not be more clear. The Hamas terrorists committed atrocities on October 7th. They shot unarmed civilians. They raped women. They killed little children. This was an atrocity. And by, by doing that, they declared war on Israel. And Israel now is at war with Hamas. And so every person who died on October 7th and every person who has died since then in Gaza that lies the responsibility of Hamas. Hamas is responsible for all those deaths because they started this, not Israel. This is not Israel's fault. There was a ceasefire on the 6th. Hamas broke it and started a war. Let me ask you this, because I was just speaking to uh, your colleague, Senator Johnson, Ron Johnson of Wisconsin, and we were talking about Ukraine. And, you know, there also there's this international sympathy for Ukraine. And I'm not saying it's not valid of what Russia has done with their war crimes uh, why do we not see the same international support for Israel when you look at the crimes, as you just cataloged there, 
done by Hamas to civilians who were just living in peace. There, as you said, there was a ceasefire prior to that. It was Hamas that started this. Why, why is the international community giving sympathy to them? I got to tell you, it is one of the things that just boggles my mind because, again, the difference between good and evil here could not be more clear. And where are the calls then for people to tell Hamas to surrender? to stop their attacks, their terrorism attacks. I mean, Hamas is an organization that in its charter calls for the destruction of the state of Israel and to kill Jews. This is an organization that must be destroyed. Not only will the state of Israel be better off when Hamas is destroyed, but so will the U.S. and humanity will be better when Hamas is destroyed. And this is exactly in line with uh, the same types of thing that Russia is doing in Ukraine. We need to be helping both of our allies to be able to push back against this evil and really make sure that this, especially in Gaza, is destroyed because the state of Israel cannot tolerate Hamas on its borders any longer. I, I would agree with your assessment. You know, I think you, you share this. None of us want to see civilians, innocent people harmed regardless of their what country they're associated with. But I, I think that uh, when you look at Prime Minister Netanyahu's comments in response to President Biden, he has an obligation to protect his people, and they've tried this. They have been on the short end consistently, and they have been under attack without, w without end. And so I think they're wanting to try to secure their own country as best as they can in this moment. And if they don't take it, I don't think they're going to get another time, another opportunity. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Absolutely. And you know, and let's remember also that Hamas could end this all today by surrendering, having their leaders come forth, face the consequences for what the crimes they've committed. But Hamas could stop us today and end what is going on in Gaza. But they don't. You know why? Because they don't care about their own people. They use their own people as human shields. When uh, Israel has told civilians to move out of the way of the battle, Hamas reportedly comes in and tells them they can't leave. I mean, they've obviously using these uh, hostages they have as part of their shields against uh, the Israeli Defense Force. I mean, this is an evil organization that needs to be destroyed. And why we just why more of the world does not see this for what it is is just beyond me. So, wouldn't that have been a better approach for the United Nations yesterday, putting forth this resolution calling for a ceasefire? Wouldn't it have been a better approach for them to call upon Hamas to surrender? and end this war by putting forth those who perpetrated the October 7th atrocities? Yeah, absolutely. And part of this, again, I think is what we're seeing is just the anti-Semitism that is, you know, run rampant in this world, certainly much more than I really even realized. I mean, you know, I knew there was anti-Semitism out there. We'd seen examples of it in our own country. But to see so much of it coming out in our own country on college campuses, but also in the U.N. with these uh, types of resolutions. I mean, the U.N. is consistently, the General Assembly there has always been anti-Israel. And uh, so it's not terribly surprising what they did, but a better approach would have been said, Hamas, if you surrender, all the civilians dying will stop immediately. Yeah. I mean, that would have put an end to it. You know, the, the House, Senator, last question for you. The House ha has passed and sent to the Senate an aid package for Israel. Where does that stand? Well, actually, my colleagues and I, uh, used through a procedural matter, were able to get a vote on the Senate floor about that, and Senate Democrats blocked it. So we've tried to get that aid to Israel. In fact, that was 
I think about a month ago to get it done as quickly as possible. So uh, it is obviously now wrapped up in the whole supplemental package that the president has proposed that includes the funding for Ukraine, the Indo-Pacific, and of course, one of the things that we're demanding as Republicans is border security. You know, yes, we've seen what happens in, in countries like Israel when you don't have a secure border, and we've got to have our secure border first before we start helping out other countries, and that's what we're as it, Republicans You know, it's just like on the airplanes. They tell you to put your mask on first before you right. put on those next to you. So we need to help ourselves before we help someone else. Senator Pete Rick, it's always great to see you. Thanks so much for stopping by. Great. Thanks very much. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you as well. Yes, put your mask on first. All right, after the break, Congressman Bob Good joins me. He'll be calling in from the House floor as we move toward the impeachment inquiry vote. And uh, I'll also ask him about the whole mill. What's that all about? No, go away. We're back after this. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clawson, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Be sure and check out the website, TonyPerkins.com. And again, let me invite you to, uh, to join us in making sure that this program continues in faith, family, and freedom in, in America is defended. If you'd like to partner with us, simply text the word GIVE to 67742. That's the word GIVE to 67742. And for uh, your gift, which is tax deduct- deductible, any gift over $30, we'll send you a copy of our Stand on the Word Bible Journal, which will uh, help you on your journey through the Bible as we start again in January. So text the word GIVE to 
too. Well, the House is uh, about to move to a vote to formalize the impeachment inquiry into President Joe Biden. Now, this comes as Hunter Biden defied Congress by ignoring a subpoena this morning uh, before making brief public remarks outside uh, the Capitol. Uh, This is what... uh, He had to say, in part, uh, prior to uh, actually after refusing to show up for his uh, hearing, he said this. Clip number nine, please. Let me state as clearly as I can. My father was not financially involved in my business, not as a practicing lawyer, not as a board member of Burisma, not in my partnership with a Chinese private businessman, not in my investments at home nor abroad. Now, that's significantly different from what's been said over the last three years, that the president had no knowledge whatsoever. Now it's no financial connection. Hmm. Well, joining me now with uh, an update on where things stand is Congressman Bob Good. He serves on the House Budget Committee and the House Committee on Education and Labor. He represents the 5th Congressional District of Virginia, and uh, he was recently elected as chairman of the House Freedom Caucus. Congressman Good, welcome back to the program. Great to be with you once again. Merry Christmas, and thanks for having me. Absolutely, and uh, congratulations to you on your election as uh, chairman of the House Freedom Caucus. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Now, I know you're just off the House floor, and you get around to vote on this impeachment inquiry, but I I have to ask you this, Bob, as uh, just looking at the vote that just took place, allowing whole milk in school lunch programs, isn't this a little bit of micromanaging? Well, it is. Uh, It is. It's uh, us trying to be, I guess, sort of the national school board here <laughs> but uh to, to write you know i don't think that there's any really appropriate constitutional role for the federal government in education we ought to abolish the department of education i asked to be on the ed and workforce committee three years ago and i I'm, i chair a subcommittee on, on that committee but the reason i wanted to be on it was number one because of the indoctrination that's going on, on our college camps as well as our k-12 and to fight back against the the efforts of the left uh, to that effect, but also to try to reduce the federal role in education, if not eliminate it, and of course to fight for school choice. And I was battling for that very thing this morning in a, in a meeting of the leadership of that committee to say, hey, we're going to bring a school choice bill. I have a school choice bill. Adrian Smith has a school choice bill. Why don't we bring one to the floor for a vote this year and, and pass it out of the House and put the pressure on the Senate to show that they're not for school choice, which we know they're not. Uh, but, but yes, you certainly uh, have no reason that you can really justify the federal role well, in education. And in, in, in what Congress is doing here is trying to fix what the bureaucrats have done, restricting what's on uh, school lunch programs. Uh, so let's talk true. about the impeachment inquiry vote. You're about to move to that vote. Do the Republicans have the votes to move forward? I am told that leadership believes that they do. We certainly have had a handful of members who have expressed reservations of that. But there is mounting, growing evidence, as we both know. People, media members on the left or the Democrats, or they like to say, oh, there's no evidence pointing to the president. But as we know, text messages, emails, uh, audio recordings, photos of him, meet, a president meeting with uh, Hunter's business partners, travel records, visit, travel logs, visit records. Uh, you've got shell accounts, LLCs, bank records, bank check copies. Uh, suspicious activity reports, eyewitness testimony, whistleblowers, Tony Bobulinski, you name it, going back even three years ago, there's growing evidence, and the, this could be the biggest corruption scandal in modern times for a president. I mean, when have we ever had a sitting president accused of bribery, direct bribery? There's a $5 million accusation there, direct bribery payment relative to 
the Burisma Ukraine situation? And then how has that impacted the billions of dollars, tens of billions of dollars since he's directed to Ukraine, how he's changed China from being treated as an adversary by President Trump to being a competitive partner? He doesn't criticize or confront China. Uh, and this is the president who, mind you, not only did he run saying he wasn't involved with his son's business or he wasn't didn't work in his son's business or that even that he didn't know about it. He said he literally never talked to right. his son about that. He may not have won the poll show if he'd been honest about that. Certainly, certainly the American people knew the level of involvement. There's no way he would have been elected president. Well, let me just ask you about that. You said mounting evidence. Well, I think some of the evidence came forth today when Hunter Biden skipped his deposition and then made public uh, remarks at the Capitol saying that his father didn't have any financial relations with his uh, businesses. That's different than what we've heard in the past. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. I think there's, there, is, there is evidence that he did have financial relations because of the check copies that were cut, where he's got these you know, $200,000 loan. How does someone who worked in government all of his life make a $200,000 loan to a family member? And how did that or why did that coincidentally happen right after the family member got money from a foreign entity uh, in the same amount that was paid out to the president. Of course, we know he's the big guy, the 10% of the big guy. That's evidence in and of itself. Right. The text message saying, hey, I'm sitting here with this guy to shake down. I'm sitting with my father, and he wants to know why the money hasn't come through. That's evidence. Now, you know, the, the court, if you will, you get, in this case, the Senate gets to decide, is it, is it beyond a reasonable doubt? Is it a preponderance of evidence that was convicted? Of course, we've got a Obviously, a Democrat Senate is unlikely to convict, but the House is responsible for what the House does. Right. The president, in my estimation, deserves to be impeached. And I know you need to go vote because they've uh, called the vote now. Uh, Bob Good, I want to thank you for joining us. Uh, again, congratulations on being uh, selected as chairman of the House Freedom Caucus, and uh, Merry Christmas. Thank you, Tony. Merry Christmas. God bless. All right. Uh, that was uh, Congressman Bob Good of Virginia, the new chairman of the House Freedom Caucus. After the break, special counsel Jack Smith made an unusual request to the Supreme Court. We're going to talk about that next here on Washington Watch. Don't go away. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clawson, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. 
it is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Welcome back to Washington March. Good to have you with us. Well, l- let me uh, let me share this with you. As you uh, contemplate the year ahead, 2024, I know we're not to Christmas yet, but right after that, we're going to be thinking about New Year's resolutions and all that. Well, let me encourage you to consider something. Consider joining me on our journey through the Bible. And I'm going to talk more about this in the next couple of weeks, but uh, I'm going to say without hesitation that the most beneficial plan that you could make for the new year is to be in the Word of God each day. Now, we've made it quite easy. With uh, no more than 10 to 15 minutes a day, you can discover the truths of God's Word, which I'm here to tell you will impact your life in ways you can't even begin to imagine. You can find out more about how to join this journey by going to frc.org slash Bible. We've got the reading plan up there. And you might find this helpful. We have a Stand on the Word journal, a Bible journal that goes along with the plan. And you can find out more by texting the word journal to 67742. That's 67742, the word journal. Or go to TonyPerkins.com. We've got information there as, as well. Earlier this week, Special Counsel Jack Smith brought the Supreme Court into former President Donald Trump's legal battle. Now, in an unusual tactic, Smith bypassed lower appeals courts for a direct request, asking the Supreme Court to consider whether the former president can claim immunity from criminal charges, uh, alleging that he interfered in the 2020 election. Now, the Supreme Court appears ready to expedite consideration of Smith's petition, but what was Smith's rationale, and what does this mean going forward? Where might it lead? Joining me now to discuss this is Jeff Clark, Senior Fellow and Director of Litigation at the Center for Renewing America. He was uh, the Assistant Attorney General for the Environment and Natural Resources Division of the U.S. Justice Department during the Trump administration. Jeff, welcome to Washington Watch. Thanks. I'm glad to be here, and uh, I'm happy to talk about these important subjects. And you know, they're, they're, the issues in particular that uh, we're going to talk about, I think, uh, are ones that, you know, I have uh, long experience with in terms of being an appellate litigator. Well, let's let's start right there. What's behind this? What is Jack Smith asking for and why? So he's asking for 
procedurally expedition and, uh, you know, uh, uh, in consideration of granting this, uh, what you called unusual mechanism called cert before judgment or more formally certiorari before judgment. So it skips over, it leapfrogs the stage of the intermediate appellate court, which here is the D.C. Circuit. It goes right from the trial court and the judge there in this January 6th related case against President Trump is Judge Chutkin goes right to the Supreme Court if they grant it. So they've asked for a hurry up decision on whether to uh, the Supreme Court uses that mechanism or not. Uh, and then substantively, what they want is they want a ruling that President Trump does not have presidential immunity to the criminal charges that Jack Smith, the special counsel, has brought. And that President Trump's argument that given that the charges highly overlap with the second impeachment trial in the Senate where he was acquitted, that it would be double jeopardy to try him again. So let, let's break that down, Jeff. It, it, this is, as you said, leapfrogging the appellate court. How um, how unusual is this? It's pretty unusual, but it's not unheard of. I mean, I think of the most important, uh, you know, case. You know, the, the left likes to point to the Nixon case and say that that happened uh, there, where President Nixon actually was not a criminal defendant in that case. He was a third party who held records. Right, he held the famous tapes. And, uh, you know, that, that it was granted in that case. But I don't really think that was the most important case. I think the most important case where there was cert before judgment in American history was the one where uh, President Truman seized the steel mills during the Korean War, because without steel, it's hard to, you know, press the war effort. And the Supreme Court took that case, you know, using this mechanism, and they uh, reversed his uh, orders there. And decided that he, you know, presidents just lack the power to seize industries. This is not, uh, you know, communist China or or the Soviet Union. This appears, Jeff, to have some correlation with the election. It seems that uh, the special counsel is trying to get this decided before the president uh, stands before the American people for election. Is that a factor? I think it's more than a factor. I think it is the only factor because, look, the, the, the trial date here, which is set for early March by Judge Chuckin, it's not like that descended from heaven with, uh, you know, a shout and, a, and trumpet, uh, you know, as it must be this date. It's just a date that she arbitrarily picked uh, off of the calendar that she would like to use. Now, she has the discretion to do that. I think it was exercised unusually because what's the rush? This is a complicated case. It's a very important case. Uh, you know, I think that she's rushing it as well for political reasons. But in any event, she picked an arbitrary date uh, and, and put it on the calendar. And Jack Smith is saying, you know, we absolutely must uh, leapfrog the, the D.C. Circuit here, go right to the Supreme Court, because otherwise that trial date is at risk. But that's just, you know, compounding the, the arbitrariness of it, right? There's There is no external reason why this is something that, uh, has to be decided so quickly. The only plausible explanation for why it has to be decided quickly is because uh, Jack Smith wants to get a conviction potentially of President Trump before the 2024 presidential election. There's no, really no way around that. It's so patently obvious. And for that reason, I hope the Supreme Court sees its way to deny 
that petition for a uh, writ of certiorari before judgment. Well, well, Jeff, I'm just an observation here, and feel free to to, to bat it down. But f- from my perspective, and and I think for many of our viewers and listeners, this is more of a type of political persecution that seems to be taking place toward this president, that it's more about keeping him out of office than anything. I I think so. I've expressed uh, this to friends and colleagues uh, in this way. I think, you know, even if they are proceeding uh, politically, but they wanted to try to have some plausible deniability of that, bringing one case they might think isn't enough because, you know, what if one case fails? So you bring two cases— but at the point where you bring three cases, four cases, more cases, uh, it starts to jump the shark, right? Uh, right? It looks so patently obvious, and, you know, it shows their desperation. It shows that they absolutely want to try to derail President Trump's, uh, you know, re-election efforts. And I think it's fundamentally illegitimate, and I wish more of the judges who had uh, jurisdiction over these cases. We're calling out the, the Justice well, Department and Jack Smith over this. And, and I think that his, the special counsel's actions here only heightens that concern, given the fact that you had to go back to Nixon or Truman to to show, uh, you know, a parallel when someone took such, as you said, not unprecedented, but unusual action that was taken here. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, it, there's a handful of times where it happens. I just don't see how it meets the criteria because, you know, I, I don't know, Let me, uh, uh, another thing that happened today was the grant of cert in a case that involves abortion. And, you know, in the abortion context, one of the classic sort of legal analysis of that, right, is that, uh, you know, the case could become moot potentially if uh, the woman has an abortion, right, uh, uh, you know, or if you're talking about an election, right, at some point, if there's an inauguration, uh, you know, things become too set that they can't be undone. So there's kind of an inherent time fuse on it. Right. There's no inherent time fuse on this case. The only explanation is to try to uh, interfere with the 2024 election. I, I, I want to go to that uh, case, the abortion pill case that the court uh, has uh, said that they're going to take up. But before I do, one other item that you brought up that's a part of this uh, expedited uh, request here dealt with, as you mentioned, uh, kind of the double jeopardy, whether or not the president can be charged again with a, a, a you know, an allegation, a, a charge that he was impeached upon but not convicted. It, it, explain that. Sure. So, you know, there was one uh, count, as it were, right, one article of impeachment in the second Trump impeachment that related to January 6th. And that was essentially that President Trump had either uh, engaged in an insurrection based on what he said that day and, you know, his uh, encouragement to uh, his supporters to come to uh, Washington, D.C. for the January 6th certification day, or that he had given aid and comfort to those who had engaged in insurrection. And you have to get, uh, you know, a, a uh, supermajority of that uh, for conviction in the Senate where impeachments are tried. And uh, that case failed. And, the, you know, I think it failed in two important constitutional respects. One, they didn't get the requisite number of uh, votes from the senators. But second, I think recognizing what a sham the whole process was and that it was the first post-presidency uh, uh, impeachment, you know, attempted impeachment in U.S. history, the chief justice, who under the Constitution is supposed to preside over the trial 
uh, the impeachment trial, he did not show up. So they had to have uh, Pat Leahy, the senator, stand in as kind of the quasi-presiding uh, officer in that case. So the, the argument is, look, you know, that was the, the chance that the Democrats had to, uh, you know, eliminate President Trump from the, you know, presidential, uh, you know, future races, et cetera. They tried. They failed. Um, you know, they're trying another mechanism, uh, which I'm sure you've heard about, which is to try to get the individual states to keep him off the ballot mm -hmm. by having them declare that he's disqualified under uh, Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. Right. Um, and that's, you know, I think I think the argument that that is blocked out by the uh, by the the acquittal in the Senate is stronger even than the argument as it's applied here mm -hmm. to the January 6th process. Good point. I uh, hadn't thought yeah. of that. Uh, Jeff, I want to switch gears here. You mentioned the Supreme Court announcing today that it will decide this term regarding the abortion drug Mipoprestone after the Biden administration appealed the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals decision. Um, so, so explain this case, what they will be looking at and the implications here. Sure. So this is a case where actually there were competing petitions uh, on both sides. Uh, you know, the, the petition coming from the pro-life side was denied, and two petitions from the, uh, the, the so-called pro-choice side were granted, one by uh, the Biden administration through the Solicitor General and the other one from, you know, a drug company that manufactures this uh, abortifacient. And they were consolidated, essentially. And so they, they will uh, proceed to briefing and then, you know, be argued. It, it should be a big case, right? And what I think we would expect it to come down in the June 2024 timeframe. And as you noted, it involved granting review of a Fifth Circuit decision that didn't go back and void the original authorization by the FDA uh, for, for that drug uh, dating back to 2000, but, you know, basically found that uh, more recent amendments to to it to kind of lift safeguards that would protect women from complications from the drug and do things like require you know consultations with doctors to check in on the women's health that that the you know the FDA had uh, had failed essentially to properly analyze those. In that respect, it's a very basic administrative law case. Uh, you know, it's a it's a case where they're going to be looking to whether. Uh, the Fifth Circuit was right, uh, and and to whether the FDA had analyzed the issues or whether instead the FDA was arbitrary and capricious. But there's one big question which has you know I think far more important uh, implications, which is the standing question. So the Solicitor General's you know first uh, issue in their brief, uh, you know when they're trying to get certiorari, which they now have. Uh, is that there was no standing for doctors who, uh, you know, wanted to protect the cause of life, uh, did not want to prescribe this drug. Do they have standing to challenge the FDA approval rule, uh, et cetera? And, you know, the Solicitor General in this administration says, no, they don't have standing. And, you know, if they don't have standing, then uh, you would be in a spot where, these abortifacients would would be kind of off the hook, and the and the Biden administration could t take off all of the governing processes, and and the prescriptions would clearly go up, and and therefore the abortions from drug uh, rate would go up significantly. Well, and and that's already the case that we see over a majority, about fifty two percent of abortions, and we don't know for certain because uh, the FDA does not keep. 
records on, on this. We don't have good accounting, but estimates are 52% of abortions are now through uh, the drug, uh, through the, the abortion pill. So some significant uh, issues uh, to be decided here. Uh, Jeff, I, I want to thank you for joining us. Uh, very insightful, very helpful as we uh, break this down. Thanks so much for being with us today. Thanks a lot. I'm very glad to be here, Tony. All right. And you can find out more, folks, uh, about Jeff and his work. Go to uh, TonyPerkins.com. And I would just mention what, what they're doing here is uh, looking at, uh, as Jeff pointed out, this case, the Biden administration. This drug's been around since 2000, but the Biden administration decided, well, you don't need to go see a doctor. Well, that's always been the case, that a woman would need to see a doctor before it was prescribed to them. And so not only did they do that, dropping the in-person appearance with a doctor, but now they made it so you can actually, a woman doesn't need any kind of medical consultation. She can actually get this through the mail. Now, there are studies that show that uh, chemical abortions uh, cause four times the level of harmful side effects than surgical abortions. It's very dangerous for the women. But that's not the case here. That's not the concern, I should say, for the Biden administration. It's all about abortion. That's it. That's what, they're care- that's what they care about, abortion. All right, folks, we're out of time for the day. Go to the website, TonyPerkins.com, resources there for you. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words. The Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, And when you have taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.